Well, good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for being here tonight. It's, it's so fun every year when we get to do the youth service. Um, I know that a lot of you that have been in our church for at least a few years, you've witnessed things like this before. Every year, the students put a lot of work and effort into putting together a presentation on something that we've been discussing or teaching um, and going over in our Sunday school class. And so in our, in our college-age ministry and in our uh, high school ministry, we've been going through um, some different topics that are related to and concerning the uh, Reformation. And so um, today, what we're going to talk about is what we've been talking about. And just to kind of maybe, so maybe some of you are a little confused right now with what we just tried to present to you. This, I know some of them looked Egyptian. That's just, that's just the, like the clothes that we had for props. <laughs> From baskets. Yeah. We figured putting the years up there, you'd be like, okay, show us a little grace in that area. Um, um, but the background of this skit, uh, and just maybe to fill in some, some missing information um, for all of you guys, we had Ben Maddox. Give it up for Ben Maddox, who played Martin Luther. Come on. <laughs> he's one of our students this year. He's actually going with us to Puerto Rico, and he's been involved. It's awesome having him. Um, but but in, our, in our high school ministry and in, in college ministry, we've been talking about this. And so Martin Luther, in the year 1517, on October 31st, which we call Halloween, right? We can, it's cooler if we refer to it as Reformation Day, because that's the day, um, classically speaking, when Martin Luther took his 95 theses. And they were statements that Martin Luther wrote down concerning um, what he had to say against the papacy, against the pope, and against the Catholic Church concerning what he was observing, um, um, what it, the Word of God actually teaches. And um, he wrote 95 statements done. Most of them had to deal with indulgences. So again, indulgences are basically, um, it, it was a, a doctrine that would be taught to the church where if you paid money, you would, your sins could be forgiven. And you could also pay for indulgences in order to pardon the sins and the souls of people um, that you're, like your loved ones and friends that had died and were um, waiting in purgatory. So you could pay for yourself and for your loved ones and family and friends in order to be okay. And when Martin Luther, who was a monk, he was training as a pastor, the way that we would say it today. As he studied the scripture for himself, he, he saw that a, a lot with, with, with what he was reading in the word of God didn't line up with what the church was teaching. And so he very boldly and defiantly stood out and nailed those 95 theses to the, to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. And it started all kinds of ruckus all over the world. And um, for those of you um, who, know, who don't know anything about the Reformation, um, Martin Luther is not the first person who had Reformed theology ideas, but we kind of refer to him as like the father of the Reformation because he really took that first step in sort of igniting and sparking the Reformation in 15. 17, and it was four years later where we ended our skit after he had been writing a lot of other things, had been interpreting the Bible from Latin, which was what the, the Word of God was, was translated in, and that's, that's the version that, ever, that the Bible was in all over the world, but, and he, he translated the New Testament into German and was distributing other texts and teaching theology, and so finally we see the Holy Roman Emperor, um, King Charles, and who, was played, who was played by Dylan, shout out to Dylan, and, and uh, Prince, uh, you can give it up for him. That's fun. <laughs> and then Prince Frederick, who was played by Jackie, because we're want to be PC here, I guess. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But P- 
Prince Frederick was, was the elector in Saxony, so he would, he would basically have a right to vote to, for who would be the Holy Roman Emperor, right? And, and he's the one who granted Luther safe passage. There was most likely a plot to kill Luther because of all the turmoil that he was causing. And so he said, okay, if you agree to come to Worms, Germany, to the edict or the diet, it's not like you have a diet eating worms. It's like the worms is in Germany and a diet is a meeting. So don't get confused about that. And, and so Martin Luther, given safe passage by Prince Frederick, agreed to go to Worms and stand before a group of all of his peers and a bunch of very high up there people, including the Pope himself, and was asked to recant of all of his writings. And then um, Ben memorized that last line, ending him saying, I cannot and I will not recant. I'm bound by the scriptures. I will do and I can do no other. God help me. Amen. And so we, it's, it's valuable for us to know these things from history. It's valuable for us to study these things and, and to know why we're able to sit in a building like with these walls that we have up right now. The reason why we're sitting here practicing faith the way that we practice it is because of faithful men and women centuries ago who, t- who had the boldness to step out in faith and stand up for what the Word of God actually does teach. Cool? And so today, um, we're, we're going to kind of glance over some of the things that we've been We've been studying, and so if, if we can get some slides up here. Um, through the Reformation, obviously we, we mentioned before that, the, that the, the church and all the practices and all the creeds and scripture, all the recitations, all that stuff used to be in Latin. And so obviously we see that Martin Luther could speak Latin, and he also spoke German. This all took place in Germany. But from the Reformation, there's really five foundational fundamental statements that we today can kind of say would be like our mantra of what we believe, what the Word of God teaches. And they all deal with alone. And, and they're, we're going to say them in Latin and then translate them to English, but the first one is sola gratia, which means grace alone. And there's five. The first one is sola gratia, and that means grace alone. And so in Ephesians, we, we spent five weeks going every single sola, or alone statement, and, and, and we're just going to kind of Touch, touch on these for a second so that we can kind of get our minds around where we're going with this. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It's by grace that we're saved. And we know that grace is God's unmerited favor. Meaning that there's nothing that you can do to earn God's favor. If you could, then it wouldn't be called grace. It would be called a merited favor. Oh, I'm very impressed by you. Here is eternal life. No, grace alone. And the second one is sola fide, which is faith alone. And if you want to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, some of you might be able to quote this in the skit. This is a, the passage that... Um, I wish I would have laughed more because it was funny, but whatever. Ben was... Ben was chanting it, this, this passage to himself in 27 and 28. Then what becomes of our boasting? We know that throughout other writings of Paul that he says that we, we have nothing to boast for. All, all we can boast in is in Christ, in Christ alone, right? He says, he says um, then what becomes of our boasting or bragging? It's excluded. It's gone. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. 
For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And so it's faith alone that we're saved. Right? If we were to go back to Ephesians 2, it's by grace that we have been saved. What? Through faith. To say that there's anything that's additional to faith is to say that our works could earn us God's favor, could earn us eternal life. The third one, which we're going to talk about in a little bit more depth with our time today, is solas Christas. What do you guys think that is? Oh, it says it up there. Sorry. Christ alone. Okay. <laughs> Good job. You can read. Christ alone. And most of, most of you have John 14, 6 memorized. Jesus says this. And, and there's a group of people, including his disciples, that are listening. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. We're seeing a pattern here. It's through Christ alone. He is the, he's not just a way. He's not just one of the many different truths that are out there. That's a popular narrative today. Society teaches that there's no such thing as absolute truth. You do your truth and I'll do my truth. There's, we can't really know exactly what is definite, final truth. Well, that's hogwash. All you have to tell them is, is are you absolutely sure about that? That's an absolute statement. To say that there's no such thing as absolute truth, that's an absolute statement. It contradicts itself whenever they, te- whenever they share it right, there, right then and there. And so we know based on what scripture, what scripture teaches is outside of just John 14, 6, but in the Old and New Testament, we realize that it's God, God alone, it's Christ and his sacrifice alone. The next one is sola scriptura, which in Latin is scripture alone. Many of you, if, you, if you're in Awanas, you probably memorize most of, most of these verses, but one of the, I know one of the verses that you memorize at some point in Awanas is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture, that's so important, those first two words, all of scripture, every single word of it is God-breathed. It's all from God. And it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. There's a word that's super important there. All of it is God-breathed and all of it is useful. It's, scripture is all-sufficient. For what? So that the man or woman of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice how there's a lot of statements that suggest that it's in, in totality. Scripture covers everything. There's no situation that, you'll ever, that you're ever going to find yourself in where Scripture won't have something relevant to offer to you in order to know how to better act. Not better, but in order to how to perfectly act in that situation. Second Peter 1, 3. His, by his, his divine power and by His great and very precious promises, we've been given everything that we need for godliness in life. And here's the two things we've been given. There's more than just these two things, but they go hand in hand. By his divine power, which is the Holy Spirit, and his very great and precious promises, which is the word of God. He gives us his word, and as Christians we receive the spirit of God so that we can interpret, so that we can understand, so that we can apply, so that we can learn, so that we can comprehend the truths of the word, so that we can apply that for what? For godliness and life. Because of scripture and the ability to comprehend it with his spirit, you have everything that you need at your disposal in order to live a perfect life. That's the truth. That's what the scriptures teach us. And because none of us don't experience that on this side of heaven, that's, that's because we're not applying what has been given to us as sons and daughters of the king. And the next one is soli deo gloria. This is, the, this is, what, this is what it all sort of culminates to. 
It's glory to God alone. To God alone be the glory. And uh, John Piper always references this, this quote from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Um, the question is asked, what is the chief end of man? You can add the word in there. What is the chief end of man? Basically, like, what's the purpose of man? Like, we kind of joke about this sometimes, like, when I ask the question to, to the students, do you have any questions for me today? And, like, what's the purpose of life? Like, just to be funny. Like, <laughs> but, like, the Westminster Shorter Catechism nails it right on the head. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So go to Isaiah chapter 43, and there's uh, Jake Renteria, one of my interns, one of our, one of our workers in the youth ministry, taught on this, the glory of God alone, and he did an incredible job of highlighting this idea for us, that we are saved for God's glory, that we're created for God's glory, that Jesus died and loved us, not just because he, he loves us, Jesus didn't die for you just because he loves you, obviously, that's why he died for you, because he loves you. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. But the reason why he died for you and loves you so much is so that ultimately what? He'll be glorified through you. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about his glory. In Isaiah chapter 43. Sorry, I have to cough. <coughs> I know, those girls. I'm sorry. Y'all are out there like, oh. <laughs> um, here, I'm Isaiah chapter 43, 6 and 7 says, I will say to the north, give up, and say to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created, here it is, for my glory, whom I formed and made. So if you're ever wondering, what's what's the purpose of me being here? It's so that you can glorify God. Which means that if your life isn't glorifying God, then you're missing out on the purpose of your life. And that doesn't just mean like, well, my life has glorified God before. So like, I, did I check that off my box? No. Like, the, the perpetual state of, of meaning for every human soul and every individual who's alive is to glorify God. And I love the way that Jake put it when he taught this, that if your life isn't glorifying God, it's because one of these four, other four things just aren't in line right way. Because if you do understand that it's by faith alone, that's going to end with you glorifying God. Because you know that it's not about your works. If you know that it's grace alone, you know, man, this is everything that God's given me freely. And because of that, it, all glory be to God. When you realize that it's Christ alone, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, how Christ, Jesus Christ is God, well, to him be the glory. And if you have a perfect understanding, which, man, let me know if you do, because I want to get on, I want to be on your blog or whatever, like I want to read your blog. If you have a perfect understanding of scripture, and when we start to unfold the scriptures for ourselves and ingest more of it and more of it, what is, what is that going to lead to in our lives? Glorifying God. That's what it will lead to. So why focus on this? Why is it that we decided to focus on the five solas? Because we teach these truths all the time, like just in natural discourse, in an evangelical uh, Protestant, born-again church, we try to teach these truths a lot. Um, so Alan Castro, he's one of, one of our interns. Alan, raise your hand. Yeah, Alan. He was like, hey, we're, we're, we're talking about doing a series on just other religions so that, so that we can be educated as in student ministry just about 
different worldviews and the way people think and other religions. And Alan was like, hey, Drew, what if we focused on, like, what the truth is and before we start talking about, like, all these other, like, false truths, right? Because if you, if you have a good understanding of what the truth is, then you're going to know when something counterfeit is presented to you. Look, if we put this next quote up here, we must know what true doctrine and theology are, so false doctrine will be exposed. Right? It's, what I'm not saying is that it's, it's not valuable to learn about other worldviews and other religions and know how to talk to Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses and how to talk to, to Muslims and to atheists and to agnostics and to mysticists and to Buddhists. And I'm not saying it's not valuable to learn about all of that stuff. What I'm getting at here is that before you have a good handle on what the truth is, it's going to be kind of hard for you to really identify what components of, of false doctrine, like where to highlight on those areas. And that's our responsibility. That's our responsibility, friends and, and brothers and sisters in Christ. It's your responsibility. If, you're, if you just come to the church and sit here just to hope that you'll like maybe ingest some things and like by osmosis you'll learn some stuff and you'll walk out of here better because you sat in church for 45 minutes to two hours, like you're seriously mistaken because it's your responsibility to go and to learn these things. It's very convenient for pastors to say like, oh, because I'm a pastor, it's my job to know these things and, and then you can just listen, right? And it's really convenient because it, what does that do? It makes me seem like I, my role is like really elevated above all of yours' roles as Christians. And it's also convenient for you because you're saying, well, I'm not a pastor. Uh, I'm, not like a, I'm not like an elder or or a ministry leader, or an intern, so I can just sit and let the people who are, like, paid to do it, do it, and then, like, I'll just give my money to the church, and then we'll be good. Like, that's super convenient for both sides, because it, it, makes, it makes you not have that much responsibility. It makes us seem like our responsibilities are way more important than yours. But as the body of Christ, each of us have to take responsibility and know that you are responsible. I am responsible. We are all incredibly responsible for being part of this ministry gospel, this, this gospel ministry, rather. Amen? You can say amen if you want to. Thank you. I know you just said it because I said that, but thank you anyways. So if you're, if you're interested in, in you know, looking at the Reformation for yourself, I'm just going to give you guys a few names, and if, if you're taking notes, write these down. Do some studies on your own. Uh, I... I always, I always like it when um, pastors in my life have given me challenges from the pulpit to go home and work with, because then it's like, dang it, I'm kind of, a, I'm kind of accountable to that now. Like, I can't say that it's good enough just for me to sit there and listen. Like, and I'm not going to like take a list on everyone and check the list and see who's naughty and nice and all that stuff. But, like, but, but I'm going to give you guys a couple of different things, some, some homework maybe to go home and study for yourself so that you can take responsibility to do these things on your own. Um, Holdrick Zwingli, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that spelling later, later. He was from Switzerland. Awesome man of God and reformer in the 15th, 1500s. John Calvin from France. Man, he's legit. <laughs> Study John Calvin. Read the, if you ever have the time, um, read the Institutes. It's like his life work. It's just all the theology that he wrote down as he studied the scriptures. Uh, John Knox in Scotland, he was like a follower of John Calvin and kind of carried, carried on the torch that he was doing, kind of carrying that on in Scotland. Um, 
William Tyndale in England. He's responsible for the Bible being translated into English. Thank you, William Tyndale. Right? If it wasn't for these type of men and women, we wouldn't be where we are today. It's just, that's just the truth. There's so many others. Do your own research. And so um, as we focus on these five important doctrines and five important truths, something is abundantly clear over and over and over again that we see. We see that it's not about us. And I probably have said that every single time that I have preached from this pulpit. Every time that I have the opportunity to preach, I probably have said this every time. That it's not about us and it's all about God. Right? And I think it's easy for us to, to like, conceptualize it in our minds and say that. Like, yeah, it's grace alone. And that's nice to hear that, really. And, like, if you, if you, have the, if you did have the understanding or if you previously had the understanding before coming here, or maybe at an at a, at a earlier part of your life you used to think that, that your works were essential to your salvation, maybe you hear, no, 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 they're not. And you go, oh, sweet. Like, nice. Like, about me? Cool. That means I don't really have to do much because Jesus did it for me. And it, like, maybe it can kind of like make you feel like a little better about yourself. And for a lot of you, maybe you're like, I don't know if I really believe that though. Like, I know that scripture teaches that it's not about my works and about my good deeds, but I still kind of feel like it is. You know, like I still kind of feel like I'm supposed to play a role in my own salvation. To you, I would just say, if we're dead in our transgressions, which is what we read earlier in Romans chapter 3, if you're dead... And so we're described without Christ. If you're dead, what role does a dead person have in making them come to life? Do we have any doctors or nurses or medical professionals in here? Have you ever seen a dead body? Who's ever seen a dead body before? Like I have, right? Like what, we've, what none of us have ever seen is that dead body do anything, <laughs> Right? And nobody watches the dead body to wait to see if it's going to do anything. Why? Because it's dead. So what, what can a dead person, what role does somebody who is dead play in their coming to life? What we see over and over, it's so abundantly clear in Scripture, is that it is grace alone, it's faith alone, it's Christ alone that we are saved. And for a lot of you, you're like, amen, amen. But then you don't live like that. And I'm guilty of this too. Like, I believe that wholeheartedly. I preach it. We talk about it with our students all the time. But then something happens and then, I, I, and then it's, I'm exposed, right? That, I, that though I say I believe that, the way that I act in natural discourse suggests that I don't really live with the belief and trust and faith that I believe that it is grace alone, or that it is faith alone, or that it is Christ alone. And um, so this last week, that my wife and I went with a big group of our friends to Rio Doso for New Year's. It was so much fun. We went on like New Year's Eve, went skiing all day. I'm really bad at skiing. I found out this last week I fell like a hundred times and slammed my face many, many times into the snow, and it was, it was fun, though. It was a good time. And <clears throat> the, the second day there, it, it had gotten it got really, really cold overnight. And on New Year's Day, we were, we were at the cabin that we were staying. We were with, like, some of our good friends. Some of you know Philip Seaman and Jessica Seaman. They used, Philip used to be a, a deacon at our church. We were with them. We were with Juice. Some of you might know Juice and Jade and uh, just a lot of our friends and hanging out out there. And some of the girls were like, we want to go into town and go buy some stuff. It's like 15 degrees. I'm like, I'm not down to do that. And so, so a lot of the girls got into a truck, and they were like, okay, we're going to go to town and spend money and have fun. And all the boys stayed back at the cabin, and we were like, let's watch football, because that's what guys do on New Year's Day, right? And literally, four minutes later, we get a call 
from Jessica Seaman, and she's hyperventilating on the phone. Like, and she's kind of out of know And Phil's like, Jessica, calm down. What happened? And I'm just kind of like standing close, like, Phil's like, hold on. I'm like, what's going on? Like, and, and so what had happened is Jessica and the girls were in a car, and then another girl who was with us was behind them in another car, and she was just going to go hang out with them and then go head out to town and then head out back home after they went out to town. So we were like, hey, bye, Lindsay, have a good time. So what happened is the girls went down this really, I mean, it's 15 degrees. It's just an ice road. We'll call it ice road, right? It's down like this really steep hill, 45 degrees. And what had happened is this girl, Lindsay, in her 4x4 Jeep had spun out and, and spun out four times sliding down this hill. She, she was okay. It was funny because the first thing that we asked is, is everyone okay? And they're like, oh, yeah, we forgot to say that. Everyone is okay. Okay, cool. That's important. But she spun out four times and was faced in the opposite direction, like at an angle facing uphill on this, like, icy hill. And so Jessica calls us, and Beto calls me, and then Aaron, who's another guy with us, his wife calls him, and we're all like, oh, man. All right, let's go help him out, guys. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I'm, like, putting my boots on, like, my gloves, and I'm walking outside, like, no spit, like, let's go get him unstuck. And this literally happened. I'm not even kidding. Aaron was like, Drew, do you have a lot of experience driving in the winter? And I was like, eh, yeah, a bit, like, I mean, not a ton. I'll tell you what, this, this is what I literally said, because at this point, we only heard that she did a 180. We didn't know that she did four spins. She, I was like, I'll tell you this, though. I'll be happy if I never have to experience doing a 180 in a car. I'll be really happy if I never experience that going down an icy hill. And he was like, oh, for sure, dude. So I'm like, all right, let's go help the girls. And so we jump in my Jeep, and... And we start, we, we come around the corner, and so we get to, like, where the, like, before it goes off down the hill, and we see it, and, yeah, the car's literally just like this, like, maybe 100 yards in front of us. And it was on the left side of the road. It's just a drop-off over here, like, down to death, and then, like, a hill up here with, like, a wall. And, and she's just like this, and we're like, oh, man. So I start going down, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be a good idea. If I, there's, like, a little bit of pavement over here, but what I decided to do is, because we need to get around them, I drove out onto only ice. It doesn't matter what, hey, I learned this. It does not matter how cool your car is, how big the tires are, how awesome your 4x4 driving is. When your entire car is on nothing but ice in 15-degree degree weather, guess what happens? So, we're in the car. We're coming down the hill. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to move over to the right. And as soon as I move over to the right... It, we start to speed up a little bit. And so I just pump my brakes a little bit. And so just a little, like, driving on ice 101. I've, I've learned this now in the last four days. Don't lock your brakes up and keep the wheel straight. It doesn't feel natural because you're, like, sliding towards death. It feels like you should steer, like, like away from harm. But you're supposed to keep your wheel straight so that they can catch and then you can steer to safety. I did everything wrong. I slammed on my brakes. I snapped my wheel around to the right, and then we just did this. And then for about, imagine this, about 50 yards sliding down this hill, I just start going, okay, guys, hold on. We're going to hit him, or we're going to hit this car. Hold on, guys, Phil, hold on. Aaron, hold on. We're going to hit. Yep, we're going to hit. We're about to hit. And then Phil just started going, help us, Lord, help us, Lord, help us, Lord, help us, Lord. And I was like, please, Jesus, please, Jesus. And Aaron was just in the back like, I'm not even kidding, guys. We, we're like... 50 yards, 25 yards, 10 yards, 
five yards. And we're like, from here to, to, to Frank, I'm just like, we're going we're gonna to hit this car so hard. All of a sudden, the wheels catch. We do a 180, which I said I never wanted to do. We did it. And we slid right nicely past the car into a snowbank. Nothing happened. So the Lord listened to us. Yeah, so, so like, for the, the first thing that I want to say about that is you don't really know what true helplessness feels like until you experience true helplessness, right? And it was funny because the first thing Lindsay told me when she got out of, because she was just staring at us, like about to barrel into her and knock her off the hill, right? She was just staring at us like, and like Jessica was sitting on the side of the road like, oh my gosh, like they're going to hit, they're going to hit right now. You, you, do, you really don't know what helplessness feels like until you're experiencing helplessness. The first thing Lindsay told me, she got out of her car, and she was like, Drew, that's incredible that you had the wherewithal to be able to steer like that. And she... I was like, yes, thank you, thank you. I, I just told her, like, Jessica started laughing, Phil started laughing. I was like, that was, that was not me. I did everything wrong, you know. That was just the Lord completely. I mean, we literally missed that car by inches. And we missed the wall on the other side by inches, right? And later on that day, because uh, it was stuck in like three feet of snow, we had, to, like, we had to go buy chains. They were $80 chains, and the guy sold it to us for like $250. It was one of those situations. It was like the whole helplessness feeling all over again, you know? It was one of those situations where it was like, I have it. You need it. It's New Year's Day. Here you go, you know? Okay, yes, sir, we'll take your chains. And, and uh, we put the chains on the car, got it right out, no problem. But um, you don't really know what helplessness feels like until you experience true helplessness. And this is probably how Moses felt. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, when he discovers a burning bush. And it's God who's speaking to him. And this is after Moses has grown up in, in Egypt, and then he killed a guy, his own, and then he went, was in exile, kind of like wandering around for 40 years, and then Jesus, and then God calls him and says, hey, I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to tell Pharaoh that, that he needs to let my people go. And, 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 and Moses, who had a stutter, couldn't talk well, and in these passages says, well, who should I tell them that sent me? Right? Just imagine. Imagine if you're called to go, you have a stutter, you have all these like, bad things in your past, you're old, and like, God's like, you're, you're going to go and you're going to release a million people from slavery. Who should I tell them that sent me? I am who I am. That was God's response. Was, I am who I am. I am who I am. In, in, in Hebrew, that phrase, haya, haya. That sounds kind of funny. Haya, haya. But that, that, that phrase... It's, Pastor Mike has told him this before. It's this idea of God being described as the self-existing one. Raise your hand if, if uh, you can say that you exist because of yourself. Okay, that's God. God is the self-existing one. And, all he, and you know, we, we think of him and we describe him as a creative designer and that his design is intellectual. But the mistake that some of us might fall into is that when we think of God creating, we think of him like, you know, spending a lot of time being real meticulous and finally figuring how it all is going to work with each other. But no, what does scripture teach is that all he did was just speak. And it was. And then we, we learn about Jesus. 
in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. We learn that all things create through Him. And nothing that ever has been created or nothing that has ever existed has existed except for Him being responsible for that thing being created. We learn that Jesus is the great I Am. And we learn that Christ alone is worthy of our worship. Christ alone is worthy because what He is God. And in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23... We learn that Jesus is God in this. He says, I do not ask, Jesus is praying for us before he goes to the cross. I do not ask for these only, meaning believers or his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through, through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, that the whole world may believe that you have sent me, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be even that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. We realize and we understand and learn that the Father and the Son are one, that Jesus is God. Jesus teaches this about himself. We see that Jesus not only teaches it about himself, but that the way that he talked and that people understood what he was saying they believe that he was saying that about himself, that he is God. And so that statement, I am, that's given. Anytime you see in the Old Testament, when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it says Lord. In, in the original language, that's, that's the phrase Yahweh. And that's the name of God. And you, maybe some of you have heard Jehovah before. The name Yahweh, those, those, those four letters, could, it was such a holy name, it couldn't even be pronounced. So there's different attempts in how to pronounce it. Like, so they say Adonai for Lord instead of saying Yahweh or Jehovah. And Jehovah is just using the consonants from Adonai to fill in Yahweh. It's a lot of other stuff. We can talk about it later. And, and, and we see that, that the name Yahweh was such a holy name that it wouldn't even be mentioned by people. And then fast forward Jesus. We can get these next slides up. Jesus, who is the great I Am. Write these passages down. And I challenge you to study these. We see in... And in John 6, 36, and throughout the whole book of John, there's seven I am statements that Jesus makes about himself. He says, I am the bread of life in John 6, 36. I am the light of the world in John 8, 12. I am the door, John 10, 9. And I also am the good shepherd, John 10, 11. I am the resurrection and the life, John 11, 25 and 26. We read this earlier and talked about it earlier. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 15, 5. I am the true vine and you are the branches. Right? And we see a lot of times that Jesus would make these I am statements. You know, when we read it in English, we're just like, oh, that's cool. Jesus believes these things about himself. But when he would have said that, when he was speaking to the people that he was speaking to, it would have been understood, the way that he was saying it was understood like, hiya. I am. That's why people were, were, were attempting to capture him and to kill him and to, and, to, and to grab him whenever he would say these kinds of things about himself because they knew and understood that he was claiming to be God. The scriptures don't just teach it. Jesus taught that and the way that it was understood culturally, it enraged people because they're like, this guy is calling himself God. It's Christ alone. As we finish our time with each other, 
Stevie read from this passage, I just want to reflect on this. In John chapter 18, it's the last I am statement that Jesus makes. And it's different than the others because he's not calling himself a specific, he's not identifying himself with a certain characteristic. In this passage, he basically just says, I am. And this is what happens. John 18, starting in verse 4. This is the night after Jesus prays for believers and for future believers, after, he's, after he has sent Judas on his way, telling him, go do whatever you're about to do. And we know that he was going to collect money so that he could betray Jesus and show the temple guard, uh, the Jewish temple guard, where Jesus was hiding so that he could be arrested. And starting in verse 4 of chapter 18. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And remember, guys, these are Jewish temple guards. So they would have understood the context of what he was saying here. These aren't Roman guards. These are Jewish guards of the Sanhedrin that were sent by the high priest. So they understand what Jesus is talking about. They asked, Jesus asked them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, listen to this, guys, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, <laughs> while they're laying on the ground, whom is it again that you're seeking? It's really the only place in scripture we have recorded people being slain in the spirit (laughs) you could say whom do you seek Jesus of Nazareth I am he they just all fall to the ground temple guards armed soldiers going there to arrest Jesus you get this picture right imagine knowing that you've been given the task to go and arrest this guy who's been causing havoc and wreaking all sorts of catastrophe all over the world the known world. And then when you get to him, you're like, oh, we're going to arrest him. I think it's that guy. And then he asks you, who are you seeking? And you're like, Jesus of Nazareth? I am he. You just fall down. Not because you were wanting to do that or you planned to do that, but because you're in the presence of Almighty God. And then the follow-up question, whom is it that you're seeking again? Guys, what we need is a fresh reminder of whom it is that we seek, of who it is that we're serving. Our life should be lived unto Christ alone, for he alone is worthy. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we thank you so much for the work of the reformers. We thank you so much for the work of your disciples, but above all of that, God, we thank you for the work of Jesus Christ. We know that every other work is meaningless outside of the context of being identified in Christ. We know that any labor that we try to participate in outside of you, outside of Christ, it's in vain. It's for nothing. It's futile. It's meaningless. It's a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind, a flower fading, a piece of grass that withers and burns up in the sun. And we acknowledge you, Jesus. We thank you, God. Lord, correct our thinking. Correct us where we lack in having the understanding to know that it is you who've called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And it's nothing that we've done, but it's everything that you've done for us. 
And might that, Lord, motivate us to be the people who you've called us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go Cowboys. Ha, ha, ha.